I, you know, when it rains, it pours. I get a whole bunch of work where it's just like almost nothing. Then I'll get a day where everyone's like, could you do this? Could you do that? It's just kind of odd. Anyway, today was one of those days. So you asked by a bunch of people to do stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What kind of stuff? I work over at a care center and they call me up whenever someone doesn't come in kind mm-hmm. of thing. So like, oh, Thor, could you come in for a couple hours? And if I can, of course, I do that. And then my main work will be like, hey, we've got some new patients that you need to see. And today's one of those days. But tomorrow's going to be easy. Anyway, the reason why I'm doing this podcast or, or this particular episode is actually should be titled Vengeance is Mine because that's the name of the book. Okay. <laughs> and uh, the book was written by uh, Richard Turley and Barbara Brown. This is actually the second volume in the series. The first book was more about the actual massacre itself, and this one is the things that were going around. You, you're going to say I have head into it right now? You're not going to... We need to what? tease it. There's, no, warm up. <clears throat> there's no me telling any stories about me walking around naked or anything? Well, well, you guys, this is a filler episode. I put my hand down. <laughs> you can hear it smacking right here. My fist down. This oh. is a filler episode. So, so, so all of you out there that are listening mm-hmm. know that this was filled in. And because it's a filler episode, you're going to get a nice little story. Yeah. Right. A like bedtime it. story. A bedtime story. Yeah, exactly. Oh, let's hear it. I got used to Ashton being out because the whole summer he's been gone minus like maybe three weeks. Uh-huh. The rest yeah, of the summer been he's been gone. Yeah. And so I'm used to walking around naked. Uh-huh. Yes. Like naked, naked. Naked, naked. No, na- okay. no socks, okay? It's no naked. socks. Nothing to impede nothing. scratching. Well, I yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I take a bath and then after my bath, Nothing else goes on. Now, when when you're walking around, you're not like just sitting down and watching TV naked. You're going getting a drink of water. I'm going to naked. get a drink of no. water. I'm going out, and I I walked out. Just just one second here, Gunner. When I am naked in your house, okay. When I was taking care of the house, I walked around a couple of times. I was always a little bit leery because of Dirty D running around. And she gets a little excited sometimes. And she goes and she'll jump at you? Yes, exactly. I'm not going to lie. She has gone up. I have to smack her away. <laughs> when you say she comes up, like, what do you mean? She, like, says, oh, there's a sausage hanging. <laughs> oh. oh, so she, like, okay. She's like, woohoo, fun. There's something I to play with. Like, <laughs> My instincts kick in and I slap her away. But no. I was actually going out to look for Dirty D. Okay. I let her outside and I'm like, where the hell is she? Because mm-hmm. she wasn't coming. And I start racking around the backyard naked. Naked. <laughs> Come to find You're out. You're a braver man than I. That my son is sleeping outside. <laughs> and that's where the dog was. He had trapped it. And I'm just like, it is not dark enough out here for me to hide my nakedness. <laughs> and he acted like he didn't see it. He acted like he didn't see anything, but uh, he has he's better eyesight scarred. than me. Yeah, he's probably been scarred multiple this times. This is counseling. Yeah. Okay. I can't, I, I guess I can't walk outside anymore like I want to. I've had that kind of thing. Like the this was a few years ago, but my son's friend came over and he was I thought they because usually they sleep in the same room, you know, and they're like a sleepover. And I noticed their light was on in the room across from mine and I'm just in my underwear. So at least it's not wasn't naked. Your undies. My undies. And so I walk over there and I you know I'm messing around and I try he was right there reading a book. I didn't even see him. So he's like two foot from yeah. where I was. I can't tell you how many times I've seen my friends. And you pretend like you don't see anything as a kid. You're like, I'm going to look this way. <laughs> if it was my parents, it would have like one ass cheek hanging out of the of underwear. Of the underwear. <laughs> Yep. A big slit down <laughs> big slit down the middle, only it was just opening up to one ass shape. Yep. Oh man. Uh, the good old days. Okay. <clears throat> Haven't seen that one in a while. <laughs> so probably about the only good thing about this episode is if we put it on, it's because we're probably having a good time somewhere, right? Yeah. So for those who don't know to write into Bishop, you need to re- send in your stories. Go to the website, thenicecult.com, 
go to, I think that's the second question down. And uh, so just write in your stories or your moral quandaries or questions and... And we'll try and screw you up even more than you already are. Yeah. So... Now, is that deer as in D-E-E-R? You already already misspelled here. (laughs) Oh, did I? Yeah. Which which kind of here did I do? You did. It's supposed to be H-E-R-E and you have H-E-A-R. Yeah, Yeah, that's for hearing and listening. Okay. (laughs) Was I supposed to say something else? Well, I think you said, write your questions here. H-E-A-R. Listen, you R-B. (laughs) For those of us who don't know abbreviations, that stands for rap bastard. (laughs) You're a real DB. Douchebag? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I wouldn't go that far. Rat Bastard, yes. Yeah, Rat Bastard's better. Rat Bastard's better. It's kinder. A douchebag is like, you're being a real dick. A real prick. But I don't get it. Are we I cutting wanna... any of this out? No, guys? this is gold. This right here is gold. I just want to say how many, like, <laughs> cuss words you can say that aren't cuss words. Well, fudge, guys. Fiddly stickets. That is all a bunch of crock, guys. <laughs> crock, that's a good one. Yeah. That's a crock. Grandpa, Grandpa used to use but that one. But with crock, you always have to add in, that's a crock of shit. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's implied. Mickey Mouse horseshit. That's my favorite. Welcome to another episode of Mom, I Joined a Cult. The only podcast about cults by an actual cult. Listen as we examine other cults, discuss what they did right and what they did wrong, and then build our own cult from the ground up. And now your hosts, Gunner, Nathan, and Thor. Thor, laid on us. Okay, yeah. guys. I was going down, driving on the road, and they have a thing on a public radio here in Utah called Radio West. And I was listening to an episode. Uh, actually, there's two episodes on there. It's a podcast, so you guys can actually go and listen to it, too. But they talked a little bit about the Mountain Meadow Massacre, and it was so fascinating to me. I'm a bit of a history buff. It's one of those things that probably needs to be talked about more. It is the biggest black mark to the church that I belong to, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, I can't think of a, a, a bigger one than that. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about what happened and why you could say this is very cult-like, okay? This is going to be I, good. I know. Callie's been listening to that, too. She likes Radio West. Mm-hmm. I, I like Doug Fabrizio, but I don't like when he covers Mormons. Mm. I, I feel like he has some sort of a bias. He does. He's pro? Uh, no, no, no. If he was pro, would you not listen to him either? Because like, uh, he's biased. Probably a little bit more just because it's easier to listen to someone positive about something. He's really good. He, he but is good. I do not like it when he covers Mormons. Some of his questions were a little bit funny. He's like he'd be like, Well, you you mean, you know, Mormon sellers did this? And they're like, Yeah, it was kind of a war. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's going on here? Yeah. What? <laughs> Why are you all angsty about that? <laughs> you know? yeah. But these episodes yeah. are really good. They are fascinating, uh, the history behind this. And I'll say it again. These authors wrote a book, Vengeance is Mine. This is the second one in the series, and it's Richard Turley and Barbara Brown. I was very impressed with how knowledgeable they were and how much in-depth they worked at, uh, they, they worked on this. So uh, Richard Turley, he was a historian uh, working for the church, and this was about 15 years ago, 15, 20 years ago. And he went up to President Hinckley and he talked with him about it. And he said, President Hinckley, I want to write a couple books about the Mountain Meadow Massacre. I want complete access to all the records the church records have on there and complete access to everything and i i want there to be no oversight we find out what's ha- what it is and just let the chips fall where it may and president hinkley said well, well let's have a meeting about it so he uh got the 12 apostles together basically the main members of the church and he goes and he presents what he wants and what he thinks he needs to to open this up and uh, he says, everyone, it, it was, uh, they were seated in order of tenure, tenure, tenure. tenure. And the youngest one, 
started speaking and, and uh, they go on up. So the youngest one uh, apostle got up and stood up and he started talking and he uh, decided, like he basically said his reasons and what he thought about it. And then he said, yes, I think we should do this. And then he said, when down. you say youngest one, probably 79. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think there's some in the 60s, right? <laughs> and when the, in the very beginning. It seems like but yeah, it's yeah. like it's for life, you yeah. know, basically. Yeah. And so so by the time you get up toward the end, you're in your 80s or 90s. So <laughs> So anyway, it starts going around the circle and everyone seems to be okay with it. And by the way, the way this runs is it's pretty much it has to be uh, unanimous. unanimous. Yeah, if if someone has a problem with it, they 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 won't do it starts going around to the senior apostles and there's a senior apostle there called David B. Haight, okay? And it, it became his turn to talk about this, you know, wh- whether or not we should, the church should do this, open up the records and, and, and let it go, you know? And uh, everyone kind of held their breath a bit because uh, the main instigator, you know, the main instigator uh, of this Mountain Meadow Massacre was his uncle, Okay. <laughs> oh. It was Isaac Haight, his I think is his uncle. Or houses. Oh, yeah, exactly. And it came his turn and he's like, My mom always told me never to talk about the Mountain Meadow Massacre. Did not say anything about it. But I think we should open it up and we should find out what, what happened and we should we shouldn't we shouldn't obscure it. And so I vote that we should keep on going. So he said, voted yes, and it all went around. Everyone said yes, and so that's what happened. So um, Richard got permission to look in and look through all the records and find everything out. He wasn't the historian anymore. The, the job didn't last that long. But he, on the, fir- the first book he was, and this book he wasn't, but he had still had the same access to everything. And there was no church leaders that said, let me look at that first or anything like that. It so- is what he found. So just to set this up, this is a kind of controversial subject. This is. Because I mean of the Elias Church hasn't denied it but hasn't had hasn't been forthcoming as much as like hasn't really put a lot of information out. Exactly. It's as I say, it's uh, it's a horrid black mark on the church and they've not been incredibly forthcoming with 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 records and stuff at certain points of time at other points of time they have and so we'll get into some of that so these books have come out and uh, as i say he had ex- access uh, access to all the letters and everything else like that and uh, you could tell when he was talking and barbara was talking that they knew their stuff they had researched for years and years. Let's go into the Mountain Meadow Massacre. The Mountain Meadow Massacre happened in 1857, uh, September 11th. A couple of years before that, the settlers in Utah had gone through an Indian war called the uh, Walker, Walker Indian Rebellion. Mm-hmm. And a year before 1857, so in 1856 and maybe a little bit in 1855, there was what was called a, a Mormon Reformation. Uh, Brigham Young and some of the 12 apostles at the time thought that the members of the church were kind of falling away. Too much people involved in worldly endeavors, and they started hitting it hard. It's well, worldly endeavors at, the, at that time was like... <laughs> extra jam on your bread. <laughs> it was like we're being too worried about wealth or physical comforts and not about keeping the Sabbath day holy and okay. stuff like that. Okay. So you write their their versions were a lot stricter than than what modern day Christian versions would be. Okay. They <laughs> we we'd be like shaking our heads <laughs> at some of the stuff they would they would be thinking that was bad stuff. They started coming down and Brigham Young, uh, the president or prophet of the time, was not a man to mince words. He could rile up a crowd. He could give a good fire and brimstone sermon. In fact, the sermons that he was, people were quoted as saying it, it felt like he was raining pitchforks down at them, the tines down. That That's what it felt like. He'd laid on the line and then some. And he was very bombastic. Uh, he wait. What does that term mean? It, it involves large bombs. Does and, it? No, it is like making huge statements, and all encompass and and kind of you know like 
uh, everyone's going to hell. You know, that sort of... Oh, you know, that people into repentance kind of... It, it make fiery dear, pulpit. Yes, exactly. Of. So, which... So you those would say yeah. that those uh, those preachers that we were doing those they're bombastic. Yeah, Don, Donald Trump would be bombed oh. at basket. So. I'm gonna blow you out of the yeah. blow you out of the United States. <laughs> Hopefully, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> but anyway, he could he could he could do a good fire and brimstone sermon. Okay. And that they got down on that. So we're just coming out of this Mormon Reformation where things were really, people were, you know, trying to toe the line. You know, they had been called to repentance. In 1857, Brigham Young got word that President James Buchanan, uh, the, the, the president of the United States, had decided to send 2,500 troops with a whole bunch of officials to take over the state. Now, why would they even want to? <laughs> I mean, we need we should we need to talk. Okay, about you're right. So let's talk about the history of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Saints a little bit. So Joseph Smith started a new religion and he gathered together followers and from the get-go it was very controversial. He had a new set of scriptures. It wasn't just the Bible, it was other books. He declared himself to be a prophet, uh, someone who could receive revelations from God. And that was a very hard sell for a lot of people as in the Eastern United States at the time. He, he was also like dressing up as general. Wasn't he like in military outfit? In Nauvoo, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Although, no, although yeah. I don't think that was that bad of a deal. Okay, I Didn't thought that he, would be like, because yeah. it sound, looked like he had his own army and he was, he called himself. Uh, there, there were, there were state militias quite a few at the time. That, that, that wasn't, I, I, I wouldn't consider that to be that big of a deal. Did he run for president at one he point? He did. As well? He ran for president. And then toward the end of it, there was a lot of, stir and controversy because he introduced a new concept at the time called polygamy. Okay, that's not a new concept. It's been around since the beginning of the world. (laughs) But anyway, he introduced that. It it wasn't all in all out everyone uh, practicing, but it was being practiced at the time. And it was the worst kept secret in Nauvoo. The Latter-day Saints, as they're sometimes called, they got kicked out of several places and driven out by mobs. There were some horrible massacres and things like that in the accumulating with the death of uh, the prophet Joseph Smith, along with his brother by a mob. Brigham Young took most of the saints, the followers, and he decided that he needed to get out uh, of the Eastern United States and he moved into Mexican territory and settled in the Great Salt Lake. Well, the Mexican territory was the Mexican territory for about six months because of the Mexican, uh, the American-Mexican War, which was won by the United States. And we got California and basically all the territory that they had uh, north. My great-great-grandfather fought for Santa Ana. Really? Yeah. He was in, he lived in California uh-huh. at the time and you know, as a younger guy. And he fought for Santa Ana. Mm-hmm. All that stuff was going on. So the Mexican territory uh, that Utah was a part of, or as they called it, Deseret, they, they, they named it, that territory became United States. And so they became United States uh, citizens again. Because Latter-day Saints had a really bad rap with the government, James Buchanan decided to do something about it. At the time, Brigham Young was the governor of the territory in charge of Indian affairs. He was the president of the church and and the territory was basically nine-tenths Mormons. He was incredibly powerful man, incredibly powerful man. And sometimes he'd rub people the wrong way because as I say, he was a little bit bombastic and sometimes he didn't care who you were. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he just tell it how he how how he thought it was. Okay, so James Buchanan decided to basically start taking any kind of hint of rebellion, cutting off the head of the snake, which we should say, and basically just taking control of the territory completely. That's what's going on. So what Brigham Young did is he got out and he called a big conference. He got 
get thousands of people together and he gave the sermon of his life. And he went in there and he was basically saying, we will no more submit to oppression. We will no longer be kicked out again, as we were it, and it seriously was two or three times, okay? Two major ones and a couple minor ones where mobs would just come in and kill and drive the, the saints out. So they, were, they wanted to control the size of the state. Of, you know, this is before Utah was in a state, right? Yeah, it was a church. So it was, mm-hmm. they wanted to control that. They wanted to stop them practicing polygamy. They wanted to control, like, because he was the governor and the prophet and yep. all these things. He, so he wanted, he, they wanted control and they, yeah. and the Mormons mm-hmm. at the time were basically in charge. And so they would resent that. Obviously. Definitely, yeah. definitely. As I say, uh, they would resent. And there's no doubt about it that President Brigham Young was the most powerful man in Utah Territory. Even when he got kicked out of becoming the territory, the governor of the territory, he still was the most powerful man in the territory. I mean, you know, when you've got nine-tenths of the population that will at least make lip services to do what you want them to do, you've got a lot of power. So he goes through and, you know, these troops are coming, 2,500 troops are coming. They've got all these officials that are going to take over everything. And I'd say the majority of the population sees it as another takeover, another we're going to take over everything you hold dear and we're either going to kick you out or, you know, another mob mentality things. So he gets up there and he talks about it and he, he talks about what's going to happen that they won't give an inch. He says, the officials can come. They're welcome to come. And as long as they're not too corrupt and horrible, they can run things. He says, but we will not allow U.S. troops in our territory to do basically what's been done before. And then he starts making threats. He basically, he throws out the argument. His argument is, I am the reason why wagon trains that have been going through all this territory have been free and clear of Indian troubles. I have been working with the Indians, doing my utmost to keep things peaceful and calm. He says, I'm not going to do that anymore. I will no more stay my hand. I'm going to allow the Indians to do whatever they want, you know. And uh, if this, if these soldiers keep on coming, he riles up the crowd. The newspaper guys are all there. And this is very public. There's a whole lot of amen and hallelujahs going on. And he is riling up like, a, let's see, what's a, like a labor union boss. <laughs> He's riling them up like, uh, like uh, in Speaker for the Dead. Ben, and then all of a sudden, everyone goes off and kills the pickies. There you go. Exactly. Do you remember that? Yeah. Uh-huh. That was, Mob that mentality. Yes. Mob mentality. So he is whipping them up. Now, at the same time he's doing this, he starts sending out letters to all the people around saying, we do not want bloodshed. Okay. <laughs> we don't want bloodshed. We don't want it to escalate anything. We want to avoid any sign of us doing anything wrong. Brigham Young knows that the Mormons are hated and it won't take a whole lot for this expedition to really go in and say, okay, we're going to drive them out. We're gonna- they had every reason and motivation to, to take over. I mean, the troops coming in. The Mormons at this time were despised people, despised. So all this was going on. So bringing them in, sending out letters. And, but then he also is sending and talking to the Indian chiefs and the different tribes around, basically trying to convince them to, become cattle stealers to steal the settlers' cabin, uh, the, the, the immigrants coming through all their cattle. So he's trying to work things both hand. One On one hand, trying to make sure uh, the people around him are all unified and showing a uni- unified front and they're all angry and they're, they're ready for action. But at the same time, trying to kind of slow things down and tell everyone we don't want any bloodshed. At the same time, going to the Indians and saying, hey guys, why don't you go and raid some cattle here? We know you're really good at it because during the Walker War, you did a lot of that. <laughs> so why don't you guys do that? And with very success, some Indians, tribes were like, sounds like a great idea. I know there's one chief or someone who were like, who said, we're going to let the soldiers and you guys fight it out. And then we're going to talk with the victors. 
That's, that's a clear thinking man right there. That is. Yeah. <laughs> so with very success. But these raids started to happen. There were quite a few of these caravans coming, these wagon trains coming through. And Indians started to raid cattle. And in fact, there were some Mormons who were helping them. And for the most part, it worked out how Brigham Young wanted. So you're demotivating or you're showing that the protection that you once guaranteed is gone, isn't there anymore. But no one really gets killed. Reports are being sent back to the East. Alarming reports is like, we're getting Indian raids and things are going on here. What's going on? And so he's showing, it's like, do you see, I'm, I'm doing a good job here. And I've got all these people who are really mad at you right now. Do you, so, you know, things are, he, he, he's trying to turn up the heat but not get the pot to overflow, okay? Not boil over. So it worked beautifully, mostly. There's one instance where it didn't. <laughs> so let's talk about Cedar City, okay? <laughs> you both live there, right? Yes, we I did. live there, and everyone that lives in Cedar City is a nut job. <laughs> Cedar City was a little bit of a radical element. Uh, it had a rel radical element in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It was really made evident in the Walker War with this big Indian war that, that was here in the territories. Now, this actually was one of the calmer Indian wars around. Uh, there was no mutilization, mutilation and, you know, slaughter of villages or anything else like that. There were some people who died and stuff like that, but mostly, to tell you the truth, it was all about stealing cattle. That, that's Wasn't that, what happened. Wasn't that happening right around here, like Battle yes. Creek, uh -huh. just half a mile, not even half a mile away from right here? Yeah, uh -huh. and the youths were, the youths were whooping it up. And, uh, but as I say, mostly it was cattle stealing. So down in Cedar, Brigham Young said, the Indians are stealing all our cattle. What we need to do is we need to bring all the cattle to one location and guard them. And we're going to do it on Antelope Island, which is a little island out uh, by the Great Salt Lake. And it would be pretty easy to guard the cattle on this island. So uh, he asked everyone to bring their cattle in. Now, a lot of people in Cedar City were like, yeah, sure. But there were quite a few people who were like, uh, I don't really, you know, the cattle are basically my livelihood. This is what I depend on. This is how I survive. I want to try and keep a hold of them. It's like five or six days, more than that, away from Cedar City, Grace Salt Lake. Walking. Yeah, just yeah, like at the time. About, so we're talking about, about what is it, 160 miles, something like that? And maybe? you can do yeah. 10 miles a day, 12 miles a day. Yeah, what, 20 maybe? You can or, do 20. I'm just saying with all your sheep and yeah, cattle. And cattle yeah, and yeah, 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 it was a big drive. It was far away, exactly. It's like, are we going to get these guys back? Anyway, the leaders down in Cedar City basically said, if you do not send your cattle over to Antelope Island, we will kill you. We will chain you up and shoot you. <laughs> yeah. That escalated too quickly. Wow. Exactly. And so, needless to say, they got their cattle there. But after the war, the people who had had that problem, they decided to move to California for some strange reason. I don't know why. But so anyway, all the people are not, and this is a really general statement, but the most of the people that were the voice of opposition or like have a little different view on things, they left Cedar City. They, moved, they went to California and you were stuck with a whole bunch of people who were incredibly like on top of it as far as religion was concerned. Almost and militant. Strict, almost militant, exactly. And then you get into the Mormon Reformation where Brigham Young's telling everyone, you guys need to repent and do better. And they're already at that militant state. Okay. And so obviously that even flamed the fires even more. So you got into this situation here and that's what happened with leading up to this, this massacre. I want to make it a little bit plain here, or I want to make it clear. Could you just take out the I want to make it plain part there? I want to take out all of what you've been saying the whole time. Good. <laughs> We're just going to remove it. I want to make it clear that I did not study too much of the actual massacre itself because I have a feeling that was in the first book. But I did look up on Wikipedia, and I hate to tell you this, but Wikipedia not, might not be exactly on the money. Okay? I, I know it's a shocker. 
<laughs> really? It's getting better. It's on the internet. It is getting it's better. True. <laughs> it is getting better. But I read it and and I know some of the things that are they're old. They're as I say, they're older assumptions and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, that's not true. But the problem is, is I don't know exactly what happened in this massacre. But I've read some fiction about it, and I also have heard some stories. So I am going to give you uh, ideas of what I think happened. Okay, Isaac Haight was the stake president and mayor over at Cedar City, okay? And this wagon train was coming through. And, and the, the wagon train from, these are okay, so, pioneer, not pioneers, but they're... People that are going to California that are coming yeah, through Utah. People from California, and they're taking the old Spanish trail. And they are from Arkansas, I think. And there's the policy of basically harassing and taking cattle and stuff like that. Basically scaring them and and whatnot. Isaac Haight, I think, was probably involved in some of that going on, along with the Northern Paiute tribe that was there. And so they were encouraging the Paiutes to raid the cattle and stuff like that. There was probably a, skir- a skirmish, and Wikipedia says that it was Mormons dressed up as Indians, which may have happened. Okay, that, I thought that, that was true. a done deal. I don't know how true okay. that is. I, I, I need to further research it. But whatever the reason was, this wagon train basically stopped, and they went into the circle you know, that you, you see in the Westerns, and they refused to move. They were they were done, okay. So they're sitting out this ep in this meadow, just protecting nowhere, them, protecting just protecting the women them, and children, protecting themselves exactly. Yeah. And so Isaac Haight was like, "Dang it, I don't know what to do." And so he wrote a letter to Brigham Young saying, "We got this wagon train just sitting out there. What do we want to do? I mean, we're you're doing the things that." Uh, that we should or whatever. Anyway, we don't actually have that letter. That letter is is gone. His letter is gone. We do have President Brigham Young's response to him. This guy gets on his horse and he rides and it takes about three days to get up north, which is incredibly fast. He's going all out. So he comes in and he's just dead and he hands Brigham Young the letter and Brigham Young looks and says, do you have it in you to, to, to ride the, to ride the back my response? And the guy's like, yeah. So he says, sit down, rest, get something to eat. I'm going to write something right now. Okay. And so President Brigham Young writes his response. We have this letter because President Brigham Young saved all his correspondence. What he did is when the ink was still fresh, he take the, the letter and put it on this like onion skin thing and push into it for a couple minutes to leave the ink behind. Uh, behind. Then he'd pull it out and he'd let the onion skin dry and then he would bind up the letter. We have the letter. We have... Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah so, so we have the actual letter. And we also have people's journals and stuff like that who have read the letter when it came. Anyway, his letter was, he said, first of all, he, he said, actually, we have new information. It's not... Uh, 250, uh, 2,500 troops that are coming. It's only 800 troops. And not only that, but they're staying over, uh, they're, they're not going to get here till next year. So it's less of a problem then. And then he says, basically, as far as the wagon train is concerned, I want you to leave them alone. Don't do anything. Do not mess with them at all. Let them go on their way. Uh, if the Indians... Uh, want to attack and steal cat or whatever, that's fine. But let them go. No harm. No foul. Let them just let them get out of the territory. This letter gets sent back and it takes about three days to get back. So it comes back on the 13th. And reportedly, Isaac Haight takes the letter, he reads it and he cries and he says, too late, too late. Because what happened was Isaac Kate got some people together, including uh, John Lee, and they decided that they needed to exterminate and take out this wagon train. Now, it could have been because they, th- uh, some of the Mormons were dressed up in Indians and they, they fit the wagon train figured it out or for some, for some reason, but they figured they needed to take it all out, take, take them out. And so basically they summoned up the militia and they got them all into, let's see, what is it called? A hollow square. 
So they're all in a square there with a guy in the center talking to them. They're about six feet apart from each other. And they're not allowed to talk to each other. And they're told to grab their weapons and start going out here. So okay, are you saying the the militia the militia? Yeah. Okay. The Utah so guys the are Utah surrounded. Guys. The the pioneers. No, the, they're okay. So they they are summoned together and they come together as as a militia, and they get into a hollow square formation, which is basically everyone in this big square about six feet apart from each other, and they're not they're told not to speak to each other, and they're given their orders of what to do. So they go out to like stop them from mutinizing. Yeah, I don't think this is right. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That is exactly what happened. So they go out there and uh, I think what happened is after a while, uh, some Mormons came in with flags of truce. They got they convinced the wagon train that they were going to escort them out if they gave up all their weapons. So they gave up all their weapons. They started escorting them out. The militia came in and basically it was a firing squad for all the men and they shot him down. And uh, interestingly enough, most of the shots missed uh, or a large majority of them. They had to run them again, shoot him again. So, a lot of people didn't want to shoot people in the cold blood, obviously. And then the women and children were killed. Now, a lot of... Uh, I thought the children weren't. There were 13 that were young enough, so they figured that they, they'd be they okay. Wouldn't they wouldn't remember. And they, they, they got adopted out into different families. Northern Paiutes were there, too, and they did some killing, but from most of accounts, especially later on when people talked about it, uh, deathbed accounts, the Mormon militia did most of the killing there. And as I say, they were killing unarmed people, unarmed women and children. Any Anyone who was old enough to, to really remember was shot. There were only two kids that could actually talk at the time that were spared. And uh, 13 and all 13 little kids. They wanted to look like it was an Indian attack. And so, and the women and children especially were all over the place. And they were basically told, do not talk about it. So Isaac Haight gets a letter from Brigham Young saying, <laughs> let him go. <laughs> and he cries, it's too late. And so he decided, what can we do? About 18 days later, they come up with, we're going to blame it completely on the Indians. And he sends that letter back to the, the President Brigham Young. But, of course, something that hurt heinous, there's no way that can be kept under lock and key. What happened? There's no way. And then the words getting out and stuff like that. Some of the stuff they talked about is like, why, how could that happen? And number one is because the, the leaders and the people there were extremely fanatics. They were fanatic. fanatic. That is the word. They were, number one, they were very fanatics. Number two, they did not, as they drove out all the people who might have said, what's going on here? And number three, they did not allow the militia to get together and say, should we be doing this? They, they worked it, and, and unfortunately, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, because of the way it's structured, there is a very strong, the leaders are called of God, and they should be speaking in his end. They, they should have the, enough of the Spirit to be able to talk uh, and, and talk and be doing the right thing. And there's also a component, which is you should question and get personal revelation whether these guys are speaking the truth. But there really is a hard push for the leaders know what they're doing. And so obedience, obedience. And when you get into a situation, especially where they're not allowed to talk, the fallback is obedience. I, it just is that that is the fallback. The fallback, number one fallback is obedience because, you know, that's, you, you, you have a testimony that these leaders are, you know, speaking the word of God. They, they, they know what they're talking about, and they've had revelation or confirmation in some way. They know what they're doing. And then you're in a situation where you can't really, you're, you can't question it, and you can't get around and say, what, should we be doing this? And the guy brought up, it's like, you know, all the mob needs to stop is for one or two people 
to be say, I think we should stop. I, I don't think we should do this. And uh, that will, that should break up a mob because everyone else, because everyone's like, well, everyone else is doing this and everyone seems to be okay with it. So maybe I should be doing this too. You know, it was clear their hearts weren't in it when they had to take them over to rehab. Re, yeah, yeah, exactly. They, they didn't want to kill them, but yeah, but in that, in that state, yeah. I always was told as a child, at least as a child, but mm-hmm. when, when it was brought up, and it was always brought up by ex-members or people, you know, the Mount Medical Massacre, like Brigham Young ordered these people to take care, to do this to them, and it was, you know, and they were, you know, obviously he flamed whatever it was to, to happen, but he did not say kill these people. No, well, there's said, some controversy about that. There is some controversy is about that. Yeah, because they're like, well, the 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 letters there and and it is the letters authentic. It's in the right place according to the date and stuff like that. It's, okay. And yeah, it's, it was bound. So I, the controversy is that President Young was saying put out other information saying you should no. kill him. Okay? So oh, cuz that okay. was like an underlying kind of understood at least from some people at the time and that it was a standing order. So, yeah. So, I needed... I'll, I'll talk okay. two things about that. Number one, okay? So, the only person that Brigham Young at this time sent down was a guy named Ammon. He was a Ute Indian, okay? Uh, and he uh, worked with Brigham Young at the time. He went down. Exactly same situation was going on in Beaver. They had rounded, they, they had gotten some attacks, cattle attacks and stuff like that, and they'd rounded up the, uh, uh, you know, and, and gotten to the circle formation. They weren't moving. Ammon went over there. He got together with a bishop from Beaver, and they went in there and they talked to him. And basically they said, they, they struck a deal and they said, you give a half dozen cattle to the Indians here and we're going to make you go on on your merry way. And they, that's what happened, okay? And that is the only person who Brigham Young actually sent his from his inner posse who went down there, okay? And he got the deal. So there is the only person, you know, that Brigham Young's doing it and all the other attacks. I mean, there, this was not the only attack. There were a uh, wagon train coming through. There were many wagon trains coming through, okay? So... I mean, but were there attacks and <clears throat> killing people and stuff? So there were that, actually. That's, that's why I have to say that it's less likely that he actually said, "Kill them." We actually have letters uh, in diaries okay. from people, no talking uh, from wagon trains saying it was how obvious it was that they weren't trying to kill anything, anyone. They were just they had every opportunity to kill us. They just took some cattle and left, kind of thing. That's what was going on in all these other wagon trains. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, Brigham Young obviously made some mistakes in how he handled it, but he wasn't an idiot. <laughs> and destroying a completely destroying a wagon train is one of the most idiotic things he could do, especially since everything else he was doing wasn't that. In his journals before this started, he, he talks about how he's feeling about this. He says, when I go to the bar of God, I want no one coming to me and saying, you shed innocent blood. He said, if they come at me with guns, you know, I will defend myself, but I do not want to shed innocent blood in my life. That was his personal feeling about it. But it is kind of, I mean, the controversy Mm -hmm. is that it was like underlying, kind of like not, I don't have an ax to grind against Mm -hmm. the, against the LDS church, but it is kind of like Trump saying he didn't incite incite the riot. I am so glad that you said that. I would say not exactly. Trump also said he was going to be there. (laughs) That that is, and he's like, I'm going to go down there with you. I'm going to head this up, and we're going to do that. And then he turns and walks away. So I'm going to say it's not exactly, but but it's kind of like the energy of Mm -hmm. these guys, we're not going to allow them to... In our in our territory, they're going to come and take yeah. our take over. I agree. And it's like there's a lot of there was a lot of energy up like I that. I agree. I yeah. completely yeah. agree. President Brigham Young was, as I say, the buck stopped there. Okay, yeah. and he made some bad mistakes there. 
uh, I'm firmly convinced, and these guys are firmly convinced that he did not order yeah, them to kill. I, I would think that's but true. What, how he handled the situation and what he was doing led to that. If he would have been a little bit less bombastic, then that probably wouldn't have happened. But he was, as I say, he was like a union boss at the picket line. And he's making sure he got all everyone, all his ducks in a row and everyone's firmly behind him. He should have known that that would have happened because he, many times in his journals and in private conversations, he's, he talked about him not having as much power as everyone thought he did. He did not have the control over things happening that he should have because, you know, everything was like six or seven or a month away you know there's and nothing even then how do you yeah. control a mob exactly yeah. exactly i mean once it starts it's so for instance for yeah. instance there was a big contingent of saints of latter-day saints over in hawaii some guy went over there declared himself to be in charge because brigham young sent him got him up to go out and buy an island he basically became king over them for about 10, 15 years. Oh, so smart. <laughs> and tell Brigham Young finally was like, what? Oh, what's going on? This is you an know? episode, by the way. We need oh, to do You're right. This. That is an episode. That <laughs> is so awesome. Yeah. You're right. That is a good what episode. What island got bought? Oh, one, one of the Hawaiian islands. Yeah, they bought hmm. them. So, yeah, the church theoretically bought that island but it was all in his name and so when Brigham Young's like uh buddy uh you have to give that back you can't do this like well it's all in my name genius <laughs> you guys are we are going to be covering that for anyway sure. so this whole thing almost came to trial in 1859 so about so about two or three years later Brigham Young talked to the prosecutor of the territory and said you set up a time and I will get everyone there i'll get the uh everyone involved there i'll get them there and you you go through and you try every one of them the prosecutor got sick he went back east and another guy came and i can't remember why that one fell through but that one fell through the whole thing fell through and you have to remember at this time mobs never got prosecuted okay i mean you look at the mob that killed joseph smith Okay. Did any of them get prosecuted? No. You look at the Hans Mill massacre, uh, where what does it twenty or thirty uh, Latter-day Saints got slaughtered? Did any of the mob members get prosecuted? No, because the problem is is that with a mob, you have to think that the people in the county don't like or what's going on enough, so that there's no way anyone's going to go to trial. Okay, so mobs never got prosecuted. Or very, very rarely. But as I say, Brigham Young was able, uh, ready to do that. And he, he basically said it. But anyway, it fell through for a while until in 1874. So this is 20 years later? Yeah. Oh, wow. So what's going on is um, this is still a territory that, it, or yeah, it's still the territory. Yeah. And. But there are a lot more, I'm going to call them Gentiles, <laughs> non-members of the church in Utah Territory. And there's a large contingent of them that want to take over the state, basically. And so they went back east to the government and they said, look at these horrible Mormons, what they're doing. We need to make it so that they can't get on, they can't vote and they can't be on juries, which would essentially <laughs> make the make this small minority uh, take charge, control of the yeah. state. Yeah, uh, the government was like, uh, "We don't know if that's do that. We're going to put a lesser law in." And I think the lesser law was the one where it basically said, "If you're a polygamist, you can't vote or, or be a member," uh, which which only took out about five or ten percent of the the population, uh, the territories at the time. But anyway, they, that's the, that's what they came up with. And they said, but they said, if there's trouble, then come back. Okay. So these guys basically came up with this trial and they tried a guy named John Lee. Now, John Lee was the guy who was in charge of the militia and getting everyone together and got everyone shot. And not only was he in charge, but he was an idiot enough 
to talk about it in church, the next fast and testimony meeting. He's up there talking about what happened and how he's doing the Lord's will and whatnot, okay? So he's opens up his big mouth, okay? And so everyone knows <laughs> he's the guy, okay? So he is sent in there. They, they, they nab him and they bring him on over to trial, okay? And deliberately these guys try and go for a hung jury, okay? Because they want to show, they want to say, see, these Mormons are so horrible, they won't even convict a mass murderer. And so they get that and they work it there through inept and whatnot, and they get that hung jury that they, that they want. So they go back to the government that, and uh, back east, and they're like, see, we need these harsher measures. But the Congress, believe it or not, laughed and said, uh, no, we're just going to send a, a better lawyer out to try this guy. No. And so they did. And, and he was convicted, of course. And uh, he was uh, went before a firing squad and was shot. So now there's a couple things I want to talk about about blood atonement. Let's hit that really fast, okay, Nathan? Rubbing my hands together. It's interesting stuff. So blood atonement was a thought process or a theory that was prescribed at the pulpit during this time. And what it is is that for certain forms of the most heinous crimes, yeah, this wasn't but, exactly doctrine. It's kind of like side doctrine. Yeah, but but it was it was preached to the pulpit. It was uh, and it was There's murder. A lot of things that's preached to the pulpit. Yes, not you're right. It was it was murder and um, serial adultery. Just you know, uh, then basically the thought was is that you could as the person who did that, you could offer your life as a form of retribution or a form of penance. And uh, that was called blood atonement. You had to actually willingly die for this to happen. So, okay. so you could... like suicide? No, not suicide. They, they kill you, but you basically offer your life up as in, I'm okay. willing to die because of this heinous crime, and there's no there's there's no way to do any kind of restitution of that. Blood atonement was preached. Now a lot of now these guys, uh, Richard and Barbara, they talk about how church historians have said that there's never actually been a case where they you can prove that blood atonement happened, where where this you know where they actually some guy was like, okay, I did this wrong, kill me please, but. They say church historians have said have said there's no proof. They say, but there is really good evidence that in Cedar City, the crazy hotbed that it was at the time, there was a guy who did, who who they did the blood atonement on. He was, um, he was a repeat adulterer with a child, and. I, this ha this happened about two months before the massacre, and Isaac said, "This is this is basically this guy is uh, worthy of death and blood atonement." And so they went out and they slit his throat. Now, basically. I've I've read in other places that even though it was supposed to be willing, it's like mm -hmm. they. Came with a lot of force, so and you they came either in and complied. Said, We're going to kill you, yeah. but you can atone. Yeah. Well, th as I say, this is the only place thing that even comes close. It's just this one instance, blood atonement. Now, as far as like killing the the wagon train, that might be thrown on as avenging the blood of the prophets. Okay. So this was another doctrine. I don't think this was taught at the pulpits, but there was a thought of people that were very bitter toward. Uh, the martyrdom of Joseph Smith. And then I think earlier the year, the year before, Parley P. Pratt got shot on, while he was unarmed and holding up his hands in surrender. I, I'm a little bit bitter about that because he's one of my great, great grandfathers. So Yeah, but, but he was shot and stabbed and yeah. But anyway, I'm and no one, no one did anything. They just kind of let him, right? Yeah, yeah. Of course, because it was a mob. And as I say, that nothing happened. You, you can, when you're a member of the mob, it's, it's like, it's like, like nothing happens. 
Parley Pirat was very much beloved by the saints. Uh, he was an apostle at the time, one of the one of the leaders. So there was that kind of thing of of we need to avenge the blood of the prophets. Now I can believe that one. Oh well, yeah, it was the, the blood atonement. I don't believe, but the avenging of the prophets. Yeah, yeah, that was promised mm-hmm. by every every Latter Day Saint. Yeah, they will get their the due. 1980s. They will get their due diligence. They'll they'll get their comeuppance basically. Yeah. So although the blood atonement thing, there is controversy whether mm-hmm. how much of that happened, because mm-hmm. like I I mean I've read other instances where it's been like well these these guys were taken care of mm-hmm. and the excuse was blood atonement they based but there's no witnesses so they could have just been killed yeah they could have been and, but this is mob mentality but i know someone who there is like friend of a friend so it's not like i have firsthand mm-hmm. knowledge but they have no. property on the west side of salt lake of the great salt lake mm-hmm. and part of it is was land that's arable and farmable but part of it was kind of salt marsh and they were told this is three generations or four generations do not we do not go over here because that was blood atonement like people were buried there uh-huh. unmarked graves uh-huh. and i don't know which what era that came from what era it came from uh, i uh-huh. i had a couple friends uh that had blood atonement done to them yeah <laughs> yeah and they tell me that it, it wasn't that bad <laughs> Oh, I just just want to talk about more about blood atonement since you brought that up, Nathan. (laughs) According to these guys, according to church records, now is to say you you might it it might have been people who were just killing someone else and then calling it blood atonement, whatever. But as far as the the way it's official, is in you know the stake presidents saying, okay, you know this is we this need we should this should be happening, you know. That's all the records we have, uh, official records. I can see why people would gravitate toward that. Because for certain crimes, I mean, we're talking about, you know, repentance and restitution. There is no restitution. You know, there's no way you can make up for destroying a family and killing them in cold blood. There, there, there's nothing you can do to restore that. I, I, I find it a fascinating exercise, a, a intellectual exercise. Like, that's interesting. Uh, but anyway, I just wanted to throw that out. <laughs> but it has to be willing, and, and the, it doesn't make sense if it's not a willing sacrifice. Because it would be in those instances, it would be an excuse, like, "Oh, he was murdered." Well, he was blood atonement, and he, yeah, yeah exactly, he us, he exactly. Yeah. But if I was ever in a situation where I'd done something really stupid, like I went. And I thought that someone did me wrong. In a fit of rage, I went and killed them and then their family members and so on and so forth. And I was in jail and it was like, I can't, I come to my senses. I'm like, I am in a position here. I can't, I cannot atone for the, I cannot make restitution. I, there's nothing I can do. I, I'm incredibly sorry. In that situation, I could see myself saying, forget life in prison, give me the death penalty, I will willingly die. I, if I was sentenced so, to death, or if I was sentenced to, to life, life in prison, prison. <laughs> I would probably totally willingly <laughs> say, yeah, say okay. why, why even live? Prison uh-huh. is not, not as bad as isn't, It isn't. It isn't as bad. But, is. but in a situation like that, I could see where but, I'd yeah, say... I, I, I'd say I, I just give me the death penalty because yeah. there's nothing I can do and I want to show my willingness to accept my responsibility for yeah. what happened. So it, that's why I say the, that the idea of blood atonement is interesting to me. Uh, it obviously is not tre- preached in the pulpit anymore. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the blood of the prophets, uh, I say the Lord will take care of it. So. <laughs> one way or another. So there's no way you can, uh, it, it gets too much into an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, which can be really dangerous. Um, so anyway. But the blood of the prophets, is, that's not actual doctrine. That's just it, people. It is. 100%. No. Is it Thor? I'm going to uh, believe I, you over Nathan. I, I <laughs> do not. I, I'm not saying it wasn't preached to the pulpit. I know, as people a lot of get waxed sentimental about like pulpit. Joseph Smith dying. And people are like, there we will be avenged. I can imagine stuff like that happening. In fact, uh, Parley P. Pratt 
in his autobiography, he goes through the last part of it and he talks about the horrible things that happened to each one of the people that were there, the mob that was there. He, he goes through and he talks about, you know, this happened to this guy, this happened to this guy. And he goes through, it's, it's several pages long, he goes through and he talks about it. So I have no doubt that that was a thought. So we're talking, I mean, this is a, a podcast about cults, so we're talking about cults. Now, in, I'm not going to talk about whether the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a cult, but what I will say is that that in Cedar City that was very culty. Yeah, they had like like the charismatic leader and they their did. own wasn't their own scripture, their own but it was brand their own of of yeah, what what of crazy they to go. no yeah. no. No and, and then crazy. telling everyone do not talk to each other, and they all didn't talk, which the main militia guy did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine being there and in uh, fast and testimony or whatever? This guy comes up. Yeah, guess what we did, guys? <laughs> we avenged a whole lot. <laughs> well, they probably felt yeah, that was totally justified. I, I don't know if, if everybody did. If he, I don't think. Uh, well, obviously this guy did. Uh, but Isaac, uh, I don't think he was justified because when he got that letter, he realized I did the wrong. I went the wrong direction. Uh, he's, you know, I mean, he was crying. He's like, too late. You know, I, I, you know, I got, I, I got screwed over. So, yeah, but. Do you think that they would try to lessen his guilt by saying that? No. You don't think that? No. Brigham Young, uh, Brigham Young basically in, in se- documented several times. I mean, he, he was gathering up the, the perpetrators. Okay? No, I don't mean. He was. No, but also he had several uh, instances where there, you know, people have gone up to him and feel bad. And he's like, if you're responsible for that, the best thing you can do is go out and hang yourself. Uh, just that's that's what you should do because I'm, you're screwed. I'm saying you know hate, hate is what. Well, hate. Oh, the, hate the, him the, as much. The, yeah. No, no. I mean the governor in Cedar City that he would say as soon as I got that I cried because mm-hmm. but he could have been more culpable than and he was just. Oh no, he was completely culpable. He but, was, but I mean, like even more than like than than he, that. He gets that. I mean, he's he's doing this attack before he gets the letter from Brigham Young. So he wasn't jumping like someone was forcing him to do it. Yeah. No, no, he was totally jumping the gun. I don't know what in the hell he was thinking. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was he was nowhere good there. There talk about a stupid mistake and a bad one and just keep on compounding. And this is this is one of the reasons why you need people with you that are willing to give an opposing point of view. That's what I'm here for. And no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. No, you, you do. You, because that's just ridiculous. That, that whole series of events. It's just ridiculous. Like 15 days later or something like that, soldiers came in and, and started gathering up corpses and, and stuff like that. And then a couple of years later, some they, they, they did a, like a line march and they went through finding bones and picking them up and gathering them all together and doing a mass bra- a grave with stones and stuff like that. They, they put a cross on there and the guy who, who was in charge, he wrote, vengeance is mine, quote from the New Testament as a monument for that. And so that's where the, the name of the book came from, is vengeance is mine, from that quote, the guy, the, the officer put that up there. So, Yeah. And there's a monument there now, which I have yet to see. I need to go out there and see and maybe shed a few tears. Because as I say, it's, it's a I, tragic, tragic loss. I it think didn't we have should, to happen. I think we should visit every place that a cult that we cover started. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If only the viewers would help us do that by yes. sending monetary donations. So. And we'll try to convert people to the nice cult when we go. So this is <laughs> this is a uh, proselyting uh, trip that we need funds for. Yes. Like well, uh, the good, the bad, and the culty. Oh, are we I, not doing that? I don't know. See, there. I don't think there's anything. I... The good. Uh, let's see. What's good about this? I. And then you are just... My, just, my stomach is rejecting the Nido burritos. Really? Nido burrito. I thought, I thought my stomach was oh, doing that. No, that was, oh, that's yours? me. It's okay. like, <laughs> I can feel it. It's disagreeing with me. It's arguing its way out. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, 
you know, I, I know, I know what we should, uh, what should have been taken from this is better communication. We need to make sure that there's better communication among us, so we don't so, go pack off killing people. <laughs> wait, <laughs> wait for the communication rather than acting. Ugh, okay, I'll. Do okay, that. okay. Here's what we should do. Okay, so in the cult, if Ronaldo tells one of us to do something, we need to get confirmation by by at least one of the other two. Okay, out of the mouth of two or three bananas. Exactly. You need to, <laughs> exactly two, two people need to hear it if it has, so, has to do with killing someone. Two people so need Nathan, to hear it separately. I don't, I don't care what Ronaldo says to you. <laughs> if he doesn't say the same thing to Gunner and me, it's not happening. Okay. That's definitely what we should take away from that. Yep. <laughs> Out of the mouth of two or three bananas. Yep. <laughs> Good. We hope you had fun with us as we explored this week's cult. Join our adventure next week as we continue to build our cult one belief at a time. Until then, if you're going to join a cult, join the nice cult.